I want to tell you a story that happened 240 years ago. 240 years ago, almost to the day on this 4th of July. It was July 9th, 1775. It was a battle that took place on the Monongala River. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. But there was a battle that encompassed 1,400 British soldiers and Virginia provincial militia against the Ottawa, Huron, and Chippewa Indian tribes. It was the American Indian um, Great uh, French and Indian War. And 1,400 British soldiers lined up. As, as you've seen them on TV, there's these rows, these ranks, these perfect ranks of British soldiers, just one after another, shoulder to shoulder. And they would go along, they would line up, and then you'd have these British officers that rode behind them, keeping them in formation. Well, the Huron, Ottawa, and Chippewa tribes, they used the trees as cover and concealment. This battle lasted for four hours. After four hours... Every British soldier, except for one 23-year-old lieutenant colonel, was killed. 1,000 men from the British ranks were killed. Only 30 of the Indian tribes were wounded. And the great um, Indian chief at this time, he directed his warriors to pick off these British officers one by one. And so with their muskets, they, they took aim and they, they shot him down one by one. One of them was General Braddock. And this is called the Great Braddock Massacre, by the way. And as these Indian warriors kept aiming at these British officers, there was one 23-year-old lieutenant colonel who was the American liaison to the British forces that they could not reach. They couldn't shoot him down. They shot his horse out from under him twice. And twice he, he was knocked down. He grabbed another horse and he got back up. And he continued to ride back and forth, back and forth on these rows of British soldiers, encouraging them and keeping them motivated to, to fight. Now, after four hours, this 23-year-old lieutenant colonel, he was able to gather up the remnants of the force and lead them to safety, retreated to the camp. As he took care of the, the soldiers and he, they tended to their wounds, he was able to take some time to himself. And he noticed a hole in his coat. And he noticed the hole and he looked at the hole and underneath the hole, there was no wound. So he took off his jacket and he noticed three more holes underneath his coat. Underneath each one of those holes, he could not find any wounds. Later in life, before I tell you who this 23-year-old man was, later in life, his stepdaughter wrote about the faith of this man. They would go to church, and after church, he would retreat to his study, and he would meditate on the Word of God. He had a personal relationship with God that kept him going, that helped him persevere in this world. That 23-year-old lieutenant colonel was George Washington. George Washington, 23 years old in 1775. Imagine, if you will, what he must have went through losing 1,000 men 
at 23 years old and being the only officer left to guide these men. How do you cope with that? How do you cope with that? George Washington turned to God. George Washington knew that if he was to get through this life, he would focus on the Lord. That's what I want to talk to you about today is over the next two Sundays, I want to talk about perseverance and how we persevere in this world and who we lean upon during that, those times of struggle, those times where we have to decide what we're going to do in this test of this, the worldly influences that come our way. If you will, I'd like to open up to James chapter 1. And I think that James chapter 1 really gives us a positive and instructive way to lean upon the, the Lord during trials. Now remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Think about what he saw in his life. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And here in his letter, he encourages us to focus on the Lord. James chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Have pure joy. How do we have pure joy in our trials? How do you have pure joy after losing 1,000 men? This auditorium seats, if I, if I remember right, about 1,100 comfortably. 1,400 men go to battle, a 1,000 of them dead. How do you deal with that as a 23-year-old? Pure joy. He says to focus on pure joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, he's not saying that you have to have some masochistic type of mentality to enjoy being sick, to enjoy losing a loved one. Remember when I preached here last time, I, I spoke to you about how I dove into a four-foot pole and how I almost knocked myself out and should have broken my neck. He's not saying you should climb up out of that pole, do it again, and enjoy it. It's not some masochistic trial to where we look for these circumstances and we we're happy about it. That's not what he's saying. How do we get through these trials? Well, we consider it all joy, not part joy, not part something else, but all joy to be able to go through these trials because of what these trials represent and because what these trials build upon. That is what we should consider all joy. There's a reason to be joyful in the midst of trials. It's not being happy about the trouble. It's finding joy in what the trouble produces. It is enjoying the sweet fruit produced by bitter times. We're going to go through rough times. We're going to go through bitter times. But it's the sweet fruit that those bitter times produce. 
It is how we are molded and formed through these testing, through these trials that make us who we are, that make us children of Christ, that set us apart for his work. We should consider that all joy. Some of you are saying, no way, no way. How do I find joy in trials and tests? How do I find joy in the heartache that comes with those lessons? It's a conscious effort. We have to focus on the joy that those trials will produce. That's the conscious effort that we must focus on in order to be set apart, in order to continue to grow for Christ. That's the attitude that we we must have. The attitude that we must have. Waking up, my my kids aren't here. I picked on them this morning. I'll pick on them a little more today because they already left. But this morning, my son, Spencer, who I love, who is one of my heroes the older he gets, because of the, the awesome attitude he has in life. The awesome attitude he has in life. There's nothing that he's not ready to accomplish or take on. But this morning, he didn't want to come to church because he was tired. And he started to get a little lippy, right? So I had to, t- I had to say, you know what? Watch your attitude a little bit. Remember why, what we're doing here this morning. Remember why we're going to church. Remember who we're here to serve. We should be focused on him this morning. But we have to have that same conscious effort in the trials that we go through in life. Yes, they're going to be horrible. Yes, they're not going to be easy. They're going to be difficult. But it's the conscious effort to focus on him and realize what is he teaching us through these trials. James said we should rejoice in our trials because of the wholesome effect they have in our lives. The wholesome effect they have in our lives. Now, the Greek word for trials is test, is test. So when it says here, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, he's talking about various tests. I remember when I went to basic training, I was a scout in the 5th Infantry Division. I went to basic training. I tell this story because there is nothing you can do to prepare for basic training. There's not. I thought I was. I watched the movie Platoon. I was ready. I was ready. Right? So I show up for basic training, and I was shocked. And I remember they're giving you all this gear. They're stripping you away from everything that you, you have. They're giving you what's called the five, five, uh, oh, the five swipe haircut. And that's basically just a buzz cut. It takes five swipes. And they charge you for it. I don't understand that. It cost me $3. I was in basic training. It's not like you had a choice. But three days into basic training, they strap all your gear on, and then they march you to where they're going to put you through these various tests. And it's about 15, 20 miles away. I was not prepared for that either with all the gear that they just issued me. So as I'm marching to where they're going to put us through these tests, I look behind me, and you know what I see behind me? An ambulance. An ambulance. You look behind you and there's this Humvee that's got the big red cross on it and it's following you. And you're thinking, that's not a good sign. 
That's not good. I started to ask myself, I wonder where and how they ship your body back to your parents when you die. You're not prepared for that. But one of the things I learned in basic training, the same thing that we teach new cops at the academy, is everything that happens, everything is designed for a purpose. And I tell that to the new recruits coming into the police academy is, listen, you're going to go through trials and we're going to test you. Everything that we do from day one is designed for a purpose. It is to test you mentally and physically and to ensure that when you're attacked or when you have a really difficult decision to make, that you can persevere under that extreme resistance. Because you're going to be attacked. That is the trials of our lives, folks. When you go through trials, don't revel and don't be happy about the the actual event. But understand and have pure joy that you are being formed for a purpose. And that's what those trials are for. Look in scripture. How many times does it talk about the fact that Jesus wept in scripture? How many times does it talk about Jesus laughing in scripture? Because I can't find a point or a place where it talks about Jesus' laughter in scripture. But I can always find a point where it talks about Jesus weeping. And sometimes our trials, we get so caught up in those trials that it mitigates the glory in our life. And I think that's Christ. Look at how many great things that happened. But he always knew that sin was a plague in this world. And he wept. He wept for our condition. He wants to mold us and perfect us for that. There's another story. There's a story about a, a Scottish discus thrower. Now, I don't know if you've ever thrown a discus. I, I did once. You know, it wasn't really my thing. But there was a Scottish athlete, and he wanted to be a champion discus thrower. So he went home, and he started practicing. And he practiced with a metal steel discus, picked it up, threw it every day, over and over and over and over. He knew the world record distance that he had to beat. So he threw it every day, all day, until he could meet that record and break it. So he goes to the Olympics, and the judges, they hand him the discus that he's supposed to throw, and it's made out of wood. And he's going, seriously? He threw that thing farther than anybody had ever thrown it before. And for years to come, nobody could come close to beating him. And he said, my secret was to train under great burden." Train under great burden. It shaped me. It made me better. Made me realize that I could accomplish anything. He trained under that great burden. That was his secret. And he understood that. As we go through this life, we are to train under great burden if we are to become effective for Christ. And that is how he's going to mold us. That is how he's going to shape us into the person that he wants us to be. And put you in the place that he wants you to be. Second thing that I want to share with you this morning, my, my second point. 
We must have an understanding mind. An understanding mind. Verse 3, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I want you to imagine, imagine the worst trial that you have in your life. It could be a sickness of a loved one. It could be financial ruin. It could be a divorce. It could be a strained relationship. It could be the loss of a child. My wife can tell you, I I spent many years in search and rescue. The worst ones for me were the children, losing the kids. I still remember Siler Newton. I remember Emmett Trapp. I remember every single one of them. Yesterday, we had an 8- to 10-year-old boy that was swept down the Verde River, and we lost him. How do you deal with that as a parent? I sit there, and I was preoccupied the first service. I could barely function the first service because... That's what I was thinking about, was how do these parents, how do you cry out to God and ask God, why, Lord, are you taking my child today? I don't know how you deal with that. But I do know that in those circumstances, you have to have a conscious effort to focus on him and let him do his work in you to reassure you that he will mold you, he will use that instance to help others, to witness for him. He will turn that around for his glory. Amen? We have to remember that. All of those things touch us in one way or another. All of these events touch us in one way or another. We can't allow the bad times in our life to mitigate the success and the focus that we have on Christ. We're going to have to look right in the eyes of agony at some point in our lives and ask ourselves, how do we deal with that agony? How do we move on to the next day? I remember last year I buried my father and this was the anniversary, or this was not the anniversary, but this year during the anniversary, it was very difficult because I remember going to the hospice, looking him in the eyes with my family and knowing as I said goodbye and traveled back to Arizona from North Carolina, that's the last time I'd talk, I would talk to him. Two weeks later, he passed. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the loss of a child? You have to focus on Christ. You have to, and that's, and let him use it for his glory. As I was sitting in my office this, this week, I was at, I was thinking about what, what would be an example in scripture of maybe some of the worst things that are imaginable to happen to somebody. Of course, I thought about Job, you know, Job here, he loses his wealth. He loses his kids. He loses his family, loses his crops. Even his wife tells him at one point, remember, what does she say? Just curse God and die, right? How how would you like it if your spouse did that? You know what, Jeff? Just curse God and die. How do you deal with that? So I thought about Job. And then I thought about Abraham. 
Think about Abraham. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And I want to set up for you. Remember Abraham in chapter 15, God says, I am a shield for you. He goes on and tells Abraham, look up to the sky. See the stars? Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars. I'm going to bless you with a child and your descendants are going to be as many as the stars. What does chapter 22 say? Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. You think you're the only one that gets tested? How about the man who's described as the most faithful in the Old Testament? Abraham. Let's test Abraham. Said to him, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Could you imagine? I mean, if you told me that God told you to take your son and go offer him as as a sacrifice, you and I would have a problem, right? I would be stopping you. Here's Abraham, the most faithful, and God tells him, take your son, the son that you love, the only son that you have. Oh, and by the way, the one that I promised you and the one that's going to be the line of the Messiah, your descendants are going to be as great as the stars. You take him and I want you to kill him on a mountaintop that I, that I will point out to you later. Could you just see Abraham's hope just disappearing? How do you go through that trial? I want to give you an illustration. I'll lighten the mood here a little bit. I'm going to give you an illustration of hope. My small group has heard this illustration. But think about the hope that you have in your life. The hope that I have in my life, when I was a little boy, there was one thing I wanted as a present. That was the Millennial Falcon. You guys know what the Millennial... Come on. Star Wars, Right? I wanted the millennial falcon as a present. There was nothing else that was going to satisfy me. I wanted it. I could taste it. I could take my kit, my parents to the store. We didn't have Walmart back there. But you go to the mall, I could tell them what aisle it was on. Every time we went by the aisle, I was like, that's what I want right there. And Luke Skywalker action figure. Right? So, so I hoped for that. That's what I wanted. I was a Star Wars junkie. So I had to find out whether or not they were getting me the Millennial Falcon. I couldn't find where they were stashing our presents that year. Have you ever did this when you were a little kid? Making sure that, yeah, okay, they're on the right track. I had hoped for it. And what does scripture say about our hope is we sit and we eagerly wait for it. You eagerly wait. Well, I was eagerly waiting. And then I realized, hey, my my dad... We haven't been in the camper in a while. So I went and found the keys to the camper, went in the camper, and there it all was. All was. There was my millennial falcon right there. Right? So what was Christmas that year? Come downstairs. My parents are like, hey, we got him. Let's watch his reaction. Oh, cool. Millennial falcon. Big whoop. Right? My hope, I destroyed my hope. I no longer eagerly waited and anticipated my desire, right? We have to hope in Christ. Now, when Abraham was told to do this with Isaac, his hope diminished. 
But I have to believe that I, that Abraham knew deep down in his heart that God had, had something in mind. He had something in mind that was consistent with God's character and consistent with God's covenant. That's how close he was to God. When something bad happens in your life, you have to have hope and you have to have reassurance that God has something in mind for your life that is consistent with his covenant. If he promises to give you something, he's going to do it. He's going to give it to you. You have to have faith. He's going to test your faith. He's going to, it's going to be like you're in basic training and everything is for a purpose. Various trials. I've tested Jeff this way. He passed. Next test. That's the way we have to look at our life. Various trials. Knowing that God has something great in store for us. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. I want to give you another picture here of God's mindset from God the Son himself. Okay? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like life is so hard that you sit down there and you go, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I'm done. I can't take any more. You cry that out to God? Jesus is crying out to God the Father right there. Verse 39, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Remember, it's not about us. We have to allow God to shape us through the trials and the tests that he has in store for us. And rest assured, he knows you so well. He knows what you can handle and what you cannot handle. He knows how much you can handle. And he says, he reassures you, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I'll be there for you. But he's going to shape you. Just like my drill sergeants did, just like we do at the academy, we know how far to push it because we know what the end result needs to be. God knows what the end result is for you and how he's going to use you in your life, in your job, on your mission trip, in this church body. You need to let him and you need to grow along with him and become more and more like Christ. That's what the whole thing's about is to separate us sanctify us for his will, for his mission. 
We must trust God's sovereign plan. He knows what is best for us. He's not going to lay out his plan for you in strategic form, in a schematic, to where he says, Jeff, here you go. This year, we're going to work on your attitude because it's not very good. Next year, we're going to work on this. The year after that, I have this in store for you. That would be like me finding the key to my father's camper and finding the Millennial Falcon. I'm not going to eagerly wait for it. He's not going to tell me because there's no faith involved in that. And the, the, the mission here is for him to grow my faith. Grow me as a Christian, a child of Christ, who's dependent upon him. How many times do you tell your kids, listen, just do what I tell you to do. Just do what I tell you to do. That's how I say it. <laughs> they love it. They can, my, my oldest son, he, he even imitates me. You know, I'll come into the room and he'll like, just do what I tell you to do. Right? The problem is, is that we go to the gym together now and he's stronger than I am. And he knows it. I'm still a better shot though. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he grieved because he knew he was going to become sin. But he focused on God's will. We need to focus on God's will for our lives. Focus on God's will. Third point, real quick. We must have a submissive will. Let patience have her perfect work. Having a submissive will allows you to accept it from the Lord and learn what he wants you to learn. It's not about us. We have to take us, me, out of the equation. What does he want me to learn? What does he want me to do with that knowledge? Does he want me to go to Zambia? Does he want me to become an elder? Does he want you to lead a small group? Does he want you to join a small group? Is there someone in your life He wants you to witness to and share the gospel of Christ. Give them the cure. He will shape you and mold you through those trials in your life and make you very effective. But you have to submit. That's why the New Testament describes Abraham as one of the most faithful people in Scripture. Because he was told to take his only son, the son whom he loved, the son that was promised to him, the son that was supposed to be the line of the Messiah. And God told him to kill him. And what did did Abraham do? He gathered up kindling. And he led his son up onto that mountain. And as he was going to plunge that knife into his son because God told him to, God stopped him and said, okay. Okay, now I know that you're faithful. You are mine, right? That's the mentality we need to have. I think that we can conclude, and I'd I'd like to say this, that the more difficult our obedience, the more excellent our obedience. Think about that. 
the more difficult the trial you go through or the test you go through, the more excellent that obedience, the more excellent the work God has in store for you. Think back in your life of the trials that you've had, the tests that you've had, the great loss that you've had, and ask yourself, would you trade those lessons and the closeness that you had to God during those times for anything? The more excellent the obedience, the more excellent your life will be in Christ. Scripture does not indicate that we're going to be perfect in this life. There will be tough times. There will be tough times. But he will get you through it, and he will grow you for those circumstances. I want to conclude with this. Some of us here today are living under great burden, under great burden, and it hurts. It's unpleasant. We despair. We cry. We're angry at times. But through that, you can also have a deep sense of joy, knowing that God is within you, and God is directing you, and God is using you in this life. Folks, if you're a believer out there, if you believe in Christ and you believe in the great crown of life that's coming, let me reassure you, this is not your home. There is something better in store for you. He promises us that. There is something he wants to use you for in this life that you just have to submit to and go, you know what, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't like it sometimes when I'm going through these trials, but I will rely upon you. Use me. If you ever pray that, be prepared. Be prepared, folks, because he's going to do it. If you pray for patience, he's not going to overwhelm you with patience. He's going to give you circumstances to demonstrate patience. If you pray, Lord, teach me to be faithful. He's going to give you a circumstance to teach you and to test you and for you to make a decision for him to be faithful. He may be calling you to do something in this church family, in this church body. Put him first. We always tell our kids, here's our kids, you know, Buddy had a bad attitude today because he was just tired, right? But he knows, he knows when Sunday comes, we're going to church. He can count on one hand how many times he hasn't been to church in this last year, not on one hand how many times he has been in church this past year. Because first and foremost, we have to get our minds right for Christ. We do that through fellowship with one another, through edification with one another. The way I get through my trials is I think about people in this church body. I think about Clovis. I think about Pastor Dan. I think about Pastor Frank. I think about my wife. I think about people and I'll be like, what are they going to do? What would they do? I get another missing child who dies. I'm thinking, man, why? And then I think about how God wants me to represent himself when we go make notification to the family. We must focus on him. Be passionate 
for him. And as you grow in those trials, never forget, he will set you apart for his good work. That's the purpose of it. He wants to set you apart and use you to glorify him. And through all of that comes those great joys, the great joys that Galatians talks about. I want to share a quote from George Mueller for you. I like this quote. It says, God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidence of his love and care for us and developing more and more that faith which he is seeking to strengthen in us. He wants to strengthen your faith. He wants you to rely upon him more. How does he do that? Through trials, difficulties, and sometimes defeat. You're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to fail miserably. But we pick ourselves back up and we point ourselves to him. And our faith grows and strengthens in us. I believe that's what James is talking about here. Pure joy. Pure joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Next week, we'll talk about endurance and persevering in this life. Your faith as it's being strengthened, produces endurance. Every trial that comes into our life becomes a test of your faith. As it comes into your life, it tests your faith. If you make the right decision, you win. If you don't, sometimes that test becomes temptation. And sometimes that temptation becomes an overt act and becomes sin. Use those tests to strengthen your faith. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as a church family. Lord, we focus on you. Lord, we cling to you. We do get preoccupied at times, and we lose sight, Lord, about the tests and the trials that are in our lives. I pray, Lord, for, for those who are here this morning that they would cling to you, that they would understand no matter what the trial, no matter what the burden in their life, no matter what it is, Lord, that you will and your glorious work will be done in us and that you will strengthen our faith, that you will draw us closer to you if we have that submissive heart. And through that, Lord, our hope is strengthened and we we produce that, or you produce that endurance in our life to where we can persevere. Father, forgive us where we fall short because we do. Sometimes we fail miserably. Reassure us, Lord, that we belong to you, that nothing can snatch us out of your hands. I just pray, Lord, that our minds this morning would be made right and that we would focus solely on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.